Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the first seven verses in Acts chapter 6. As we continue to unpack the book of Acts. Before we dig into the book of Acts, um, just want to make a couple, couple quick comments here. Maybe you know this song, red or yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Um, we live in a day and age where we continue to see sin ruling our world and it shouldn't be okay with us Lisa and I were discussing this and as Christ followers we have the hope of heaven right we look forward to that and we know the Bible clearly says that the days are going to get worse um, before Jesus returns and so in one sense as Christ followers we rejoice because that means Jesus is coming sooner then later, but we mourn. We mourn because we live in a broken and a fallen world. We've seen that not only through the disease, and we see that in hunger. We see that also through um, the tragedies that have taken place, not just this week, but for many years. It has, and it will always be here. Sin is a part of our world. That is why we must come to the word of God and it must be the law of the Lord that rules our heart. We live in a time where we see sinful people. They're not bad people because we're all bad. We're all sinful. And so as we look at this, we need to remember that there is and there always will be sinful people, no matter what color, race, background, religion, country origin, ethnicity, how do you say that? Ethnicity. I wrote it, but I couldn't say it. No matter who you are and what you look like, just as we, you, you told me what that song says, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And so we must remember that as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to look at people through the lens of Jesus, not through our own background or our own desires or our own wants. And so we have that great privilege and that great responsibility. I believe that true justice is found in Jesus. He is the king and he is ultimately the great judge. As we will look in our text today, there are times where God appoints man to help oversee other men. Remember, no man is perfect. And yet we are called to accountability with our brothers and sisters, and ultimately we will stand before the great judge. 
And that's why we read in the Psalms and we read throughout Scripture when somebody has encountered some injustice, the call is for God and that person will be judged by God. So don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We mourn with what we see. We mourn because God mourns. It's sinful. And honestly, some of it's despicable. But we have a call to respond in a way that God would want us to respond. I believe that's through conversation. That's through action. And ultimately, that's through love. I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but let me continue to commend us as Christ followers. We have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to be the light of Jesus in a very dark world. But don't lose heart. Jesus conquered sin and death. He is the way maker. He made the way for us for eternity in heaven. And we have the privilege of being able to share with the world hope. That's what people want. That's what people need. And ultimately, there is no hope found in anyone or anything else other than Jesus. Will you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be your ambassadors. Lord, it can be overwhelming at times. Lord, as we see the world around us and we, as we sit here today, we are privileged people. We have great privilege, privileges that many in this world do not share and do not have. And I believe that, Lord, we can use those privileges to serve ourselves and our own agendas, or we can use the privileges that you've given us to serve you and to serve other men and women and children. Lord, we know that life is precious to you whether that life be in the womb or be living here on this earth, every life is of value to you. And so, Lord, help us as your ambassadors to cherish life and to see people through the lens as Jesus sees them. Lord, help us to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. Lord, help us to stand in the gap And Lord, I pray that you'd rise up a generation of young people and use us older generations, Lord, that a revival may take place. We need freedom. We need peace. We need justice. But more than anything, we need Jesus. Jesus is the healer. He is the fixer. And so, Lord, may we look to you and may we live our lives representing you in a great and glorious way. Lord, your word clearly tells us that we need to pray for those in authority over us. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for those who are in authority. There is a great burden on them. And, Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom, give them discernment, give them the opportunity, Lord. May you soften their hearts to look to the God above 
their creator, their maker, to guide them and to direct them. And may you grant wisdom to our leaders, both locally, in our nation, and around the world. Lord, may you cause an uprising of hearts that look to Jesus. For those who are suffering today, Lord, we pray that you would bless them. May they feel your embrace and your loving arms around them. May they sense that there is a God who loves them dearly. And in their hardship and in their persecutions, in their hunger, in their loneliness, Lord, may they sense and know that there is a true and living God who created them and who loves them dearly. And so, Lord, we pray that you would minister to their needs, that you would help them to walk through these days. And we pray again that they would sense and know that there is a Savior, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to dig into it. May you guide us and direct us, and may our hearts be open to what you have to tell us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read together only seven verses. Let's read together. Now in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The 12 summoned the full member of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I don't know if that's how you say those names, but that's my best guess at them, okay? I practiced all week, and I did all right. When we look at this, we see... um, Dr. Luke, as he's writing this next section in his book, he says, now in these days, comes on the heels of the apostles being arrested, being being charred, being beaten, and then being freed. Now in those days, uh, the disciples were increasing in numbers. Now the term disciples here is used for those at this time who are followers of Jesus. All right, and so as their number continues to increase, we see that there's a complaint. And this complaint isn't uh, a moaning over the color of the walls or the color carpet. Um, There's a real issue here. And so they arose a complaint by the Hellenists. The Hellenists uh, weren't uh, a group of people that were led by Helen, a lady named Helen. No, the Hellenists were, were Jews who spoke Greek. 
And so um, a lot of the Jews at that time spoke Aramaic. And so as, remember the history of, of the Jews, as different countries came and um, defeated them, and as they were scattered abroad, they were part of different, um, different countries and different backgrounds. And so in that, as they gathered back in Jerusalem, there were different backgrounds of these Jews. They're all Jews. And so in this, this is not about an ethnic difference, an issue. So don't make that, don't put this in the text, which I'm going to take time out real quick. I might have a few of these today. Time out. We have to make sure we don't look at the Bible through our own lens, okay? Meaning the Bible wasn't written to you. You say, oh, pastor, I'm out of here. If you believe that the Bible was written to you, you have an issue. Because what you try to do is you look at, the, you look at it and you try to decipher it from your own glasses, your own lens of life. I believe the Bible was written for us, okay? And there's a difference. Meaning when, when Dr. Luke was writing this, he wasn't writing it to the church of West Hill in 2020, all right? Did he write it for us? Yes. God has given it to us, for us to learn and to grow, but it wasn't to us. And so in that, we have to be careful as we read the word that we understand it and we decipher it correctly. This is where a lot of disagreements happen and why there's a lot of different denominations because if they come at the Bible viewing it from different lenses. This is why I believe today more importantly than ever that we understand how to study, how to read and what our theology is. Because if we have stinking thinking, it will affect how we read and decipher the Bible. So I'm looking at the opportunity, and we'll see, not, don't hold me to this, but this summer of doing a Logos class in the gym where we can spread out, but doing one on theology. Because theology is critical, not just so we can have a bunch of knowledge of who God is, or how God works, but an understanding of knowing that it is the basis, the theology of understanding who God is and how he works so that we can understand who we are and what his word has to tell us. Because if our theology is wrong, then our thinking is going to be wrong and our thinking controls our behavior and our behavior is going to be wrong. So if you get anything wrong in the midst of that, you're going to be headed in an avenue where your life is not going to show what God ultimately wants it to be. And so we must understand what the scriptures say and an under, understanding and knowing how to do that in a clear way helps us to say, okay, this is how I'm supposed to think then. And in that thinking that, that we don't want stinking thinking, okay, but that thinking helps us to understand good biblical thinking helps us to live and to live out in our actions the way that God intends us to live. I could give you illustrations. I won't do that right now because I'm already on the rabbit trail. But understand, this is not 
This is not a text where all of a sudden the Jews rise up, oh, and this ethnic group of Jews is mad at that. No, don't make it say that just because we're struggling today in America with, with what's going on. Don't make your circumstances dictate what the Bible tells us. What the Bible says is there's a group, there's a complaint raised by the Hellenists. The Hellenists are just a group of Jews that spoke Greek. They spoke, their, their main way of speaking was Greek first, where at that time, a lot of the religious leaders spoke Aramaic. Their first language, their first way of speaking would, would have been Aramaic and even some Hebrew. And so in that, here's the Greek-speaking Jews who are here, and they're saying, hey, we've been neglected. Our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, we don't understand and know all of the reasons why. We could probably come up with a few assumptions that don't change the meaning of the text, but help us to understand. If these Jews have followed Jesus, all right, meaning that now they have been cast aside from the other religious leaders of that time, meaning the other religious leaders of that time were taking care of the widows and orphans because that's a command that reads back to the law, all right? And so taking care of the widows and orphans, the, the religious leaders of the temple would have been doing that. But if you're following Jesus at this time, you're following Jesus, you've been thrown aside from, from the temple, from those other religious leaders of that time. And so now you're off on your own. That's what makes the text, when you start reading it, awesome because here are the followers of Jesus coming together, acting as one, selling their land and their property and what they had and putting their things together so that no one was in need text says. And so they were caring for one another. Well, as those numbers begin to continue to grow, the needs continue to grow. And so here they're trying to provide for one another. And there is a group of widows that is being neglected. And so their, their leaders come to the apostles and gather all the apostles and they ask for some understanding and for some direction. When the apostles get together, the, the, the 12 summon the full number of the disciples, the disciples meaning that group of people, bringing them together and, and, at, and telling them a few things. So um, I, I don't think this was an intentional oversight. I think this is an unintentional oversight. And in that, there's a term here um, used um, that is close to the Greek term for deacon, but it is not the term of deacon. You're actually not going to find the term deacon used here. And so again, it's a, it's a, it's a place that we often go back to as reference to what we today use as deacons, but understand what does the text tell us? The text doesn't use the term deacon here for us. And so it's a, a term used for daily distribution. In your text, it's the end of verse one, in daily distribution. It, it is a service rendering. And so in this service, this service rendering, 
It is the same term that is used for ministry in chapter 1, verse 17, and in verse 25, chapter 1, verse 25, in ministry, that, that the apostles were called to the ministry. And so in this ministry, there has been an oversight. And so the 12 summoned the full number, verse 12, of the disciples and asked and said this, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables or to distribute the food, okay? Because again, understand, I, I walked us through a little bit, the, the context. The widows are now outside of the other religious organization because they're followers of Jesus. They've been ostracized. And in so doing, now they don't get their daily portions from the temple or the other religious leaders. Now they are here following the followers, the disciples of Jesus. And in doing that, there is, um, they're missing out on the bread, their daily, um, their daily food that they need. So verse three, therefore brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A few things. Um, so in this, there is uh, a share, a share of the calling. The 12 share very clearly what they've been called to do. And in their sharing, they also want to give a solution though. They say, hey, we've been called in, in, in prayer and preaching the word. We, we've got to study the word. We've got to preach the word. We've got to teach the word. We've got to be in prayer. But in that, our doing of that, we've got to keep doing that, but here's a solution. So they offer a solution. They appoint seven to oversee that responsibility. And so we see the qualifications and then the calling of the seven. They are to be of good repute. They're to be spoken well of. And so these seven are seen as men who are, are men of character, they're also men who have evidence of transformation of wisdom, meaning the Holy Spirit has touched their lives and it's been evident by the way that they live and make decisions. They've been given wisdom. And in that wisdom, these seven are not called, again, understand the text here. It doesn't say these seven are going to serve all the widows. These seven are appointed to oversee that that duty. And so doing, they've been, they've been given these gifts of good. They have a great character. The community knows it. And also they've been given, uh, the Holy Spirit is evident in how they make decisions. Verse four says, but we, the 12, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so this is a reminder of the apostles' commitment of what God had called them to do. And so in doing this, they are saying, we must continue to do what God's called us to do. And then we see the list of the seven in verse five. It says, it, what they said, please the whole gathering. And then they chose, they chose seven. The first on that list stands out. 
because of what is to come. It's kind of a foreshadowing. Dr. Luke is helping us to see. Doesn't mean these other six are not as important or not as cool guys as Stephen was. It just helps us as we're reading in the dialogue, it helps us to see that Stephen has a special place and it helps us to see where Dr. Luke is going to go. And so here's Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then he lists the other six, which I'm not going to read again because I did such a good time the first time. Um, These were set before the apostles and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. Again, kind of referencing back to the Old Testament where Moses puts his hands on Joshua. In Numbers 27 and in Deuteronomy 34, we see that this is a recognition that God's hand is upon these men, um, that, this, that these men's relationship with Jesus um, was evident and that they were appointed for this duty and it was a call for God's blessing upon them. Um, you've seen that displayed here in the ordination process. Uh, when I was ordained and then when Pastor David was ordained and put laying our hands upon them. It's the same for when we've had our missionaries here and we've prayed over our missionaries. We've laid hands on them, acknowledging that their gospel faith, that their faith in Jesus is evident, that God has called them to that duty uh, and appointed them to go and then that God would bless them. And so we see that example in Moses and Joshua in Numbers, um, again, Numbers 27, 23 and Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. And in so doing this, um, we see Dr. Luke ends this section in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, which is interesting because, again, when you look at the context and what's happening on the normal daily life, here's a group of widows that have been outcast from the religious group of that time. And then Dr. Luke leaves this section with, there are many priests who are following Jesus. And so there is an effect across, across Jerusalem and, and in the midst of this One note here in verse 7. The subject of verse 7 is the word of God. And so it's the word of God that is the focus. It's not even that there are priests that are coming to know Jesus. The word of God continues to increase. The word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we have the great privilege of having it here today with us and to read it and to study it. Here's a couple takeaways. As the church grows, new situations will arise. And so as we see a church grow, there are new situations and new circumstances that will need to be addressed. As we view those and as we see those, there are a couple things. First is that we are not to neglect the critical for the important. What we see here is the apostles were not going to neglect the critical for the important. That didn't mean they didn't care about feeding the widows. They did, but they were not going to lose sight of what was most important. 
what the critical aspect of the church was. And the critical aspect of the church was to preach and to teach Jesus. And so we must never forget that too in our daily lives. As you go and you serve the Lord and whatever you do, the most critical aspect of your life is that you spend time with Jesus. That you're in his word and that you pray. Listening. Talking with him. Don't take the important things of life and make them more important than the critical the second thing here is the flexibility and designation or delegation um, to care for those around us. I can't tell you that I'm really good at this. <clears throat> Just as Moses um, was told by his father-in-law, um, hey, you are going to wear down. You have to appoint. And so God led and they, and they appointed different people, uh, some of different groups of different amounts of people to help oversee um, cases that needed to be heard, injustices. And so as Moses des delegated and designated different men to oversee, it, the text tells us that, that it helped Moses. The same is true here. The numbers keep rising. We see it's kind of a reference. Um, verse 1 is kind of a reference back to chapter 15, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The gospel continued to spread. And when we see the outpouring of the Spirit, there are going to continue to, to be needs of, of people that need to be met. Now with that, it can't just fall on one or two or just a handful of people. We must all, using the gifts and talents that God's given us, stand in the gap. And so in doing that, we need to be flexible. As a church, we can't say, well, we've always done it that way. That's not flexibility. They didn't say, well, this is the way it's always been done. No, it says that they heard what the apostles said and they, they, they liked what they heard. It pleased them. We must also understand that we must be people who are willing to delegate. I have to continue to work on that. I like to have control mainly because I know how I want it to be done. And I'm confident that I can do it, but I'm not so sure that you can do it. What I have found is that if I do delegate and I clearly communicate, that it often gets done better than what I could have done. And so it's a process. I'm working through that. We get to work through that. And as we continue to move forward, we are looking and have been looking for several months now of the way West Hill is structured and how we can best do that, to train up others, to lead in other areas, so it doesn't just fall on a few. Now, yesterday, I had the wonderful privilege of working on an old barn, an old barn from the 1800s um, that has uh, an old slate roof on it. And as I was working on it, this is the life of a preacher, um, you, you start thinking, and so, uh, my brother and I were up on the lifts and I was starting to think, thinking about my message and, and I came across, maybe I was uh, uh, hysterical and I delusional 
and, and, and my lack of hydration. But as I was looking at the slate roof, there is something that really stood out to me, and I think it fits for how we um, walk through life and even thinking how we weather the storm and how we allow the gospel to continue to move forward. And so it, we were taking the old slate off, and so doing that, uh, Lene, you can go to the next picture. Um, you get to really see it and how it works. And, and, and if you don't know anything about roofing, um, all it does is it overlays in such a way that there's not any cracks, so the water just runs smoothly down. If you know a lot about roofs, I'm sorry to insult your intelligence, but it's just simple, okay? And so this is the way it's supposed to look. But what I found was there was evidence that it didn't always look or there were some problems. So, Lene, go to the next one. So that's the way it's supposed to look. And next one, Lene, makes it look like this. So if you can't tell, right there in the middle, there are two holes, meaning there are, there's a piece of slate that's missing. And what happens when a piece is missing, it opens the, the roof and anything underneath to the storms that are going to come, to the rain that's going to come. And so when you look at it a little bit closer, you see... Lene, the gap. You see there's a gap, all right? And you can't see it here, but I can see all the way down to the floor of the barn here, all right? Thankfully, I was on a lift, not a ladder. It was wonderful. Um, and so you see this missing, the missing piece, which goes to, um, Lene, go to the last one there, if you would. Um, or is that the last one? That's the last one. Thanks. Go back to the one that looks really, really nice, if you would. Thanks. My, my point in, in sharing this illustration is that we each have a role to play. And when we, we don't use the gifts and talents in that role, it leaves a gap. There was a gap here there were widows who were not being ministered to. They, they needed their daily bread, their food. And in doing that, they came up with a solution. And that meant there were people who were going to need to organize, and then there were going to need to be people who distributed to meet that need. As we continue to grow and walk in our faith with Jesus, there are going to be gaps that we see and that's brought to our attention. And in doing that, we are going to need people to fill in the gaps, to help fill those gaps so that those needs are taken care of. Many of you continue to serve to help fill the gaps. As I said, we continue to look and say, how can, how can we best, how can I best equip you as the saints to do the work of the ministry? That's, that's my job to preach and teach the word and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The Bible doesn't say that I'm called to do all of the work of the ministry. We have that privilege. And in so doing, we get to do what we see here in Acts chapter 6, to work through and to say, okay, don't neglect the critical for the important. But in seeing those important needs, how do we best allow flexibility and delegation to help meet those needs. 
What that means, what that means is that you, each of you, have a responsibility in doing that. Each one of you will be unique in how you play out that role, but we each have a role. We each are called to serve. And so today, there's a role for us all. It's called serving. Ask the Lord for understanding of what that looks like. And may we continue to serve him with all of our hearts. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time of being here. May you bless each of us as we leave from here, as even those who have heard it online, Lord, may you bless and guide us and direct us that we may continue to serve you. We're called to serve you, Lord. And in doing that, we are able to serve others, our brothers and sisters, and the world around us. And so, Lord, may you make apparent to us the needs that need to be met and help us to know how we can best do that. But, Lord, I pray that we will not neglect the critical for the important. May we continue to look and to read and to study your word. May we spend time daily with you. And, Lord, in so doing, you refresh our soul so that we may do the important. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Christ, the Messiah. Amen. I'll uh, let you go here one row at a time. Vince is going to close this in, uh, in a song. And so as I let you go, I hope you have a great week. God's blessing upon you. And uh, enjoy, enjoy the wonderful weather the Lord's given us.